Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. Today, as I am recording this show, is September 11th, 2021. And I was thinking about not doing the show for a number of reasons. And this show is a talk show, but it's not so much about news as much as this is about movies. And I usually don't talk about current events unless it pertains to the movie about which I'm talking. But this is the 20th anniversary of a day that continues to live in infamy. And there are people who are in high school and college right now who don't remember the horrors of 9-11, either because they weren't alive or they were too young to remember it. But the, the saying that went around immediately after September 11th, 2001 was never forget. And rest assured, I never will. I still remember where I was when I first heard about the planes flying into the Trade Center Towers. I remember what I was wearing. I even remember the, the morning I woke up, some of my thoughts then. And it was otherwise a relatively normal day until this happened. And I find myself actually going on YouTube and finding footage of n- news shows, particularly morning news shows like the Today Show and what they were talking about right before the, they received word that the first plane flew into the Trade Center Towers. And it's, it's really stunning. A lot of people say that that was the end of the 90s. And, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't literally the end of the, the 90s, but it certainly changed all our lives, not just Americans, but everyone around the world forever. And I also remember the way that our country united after the attacks and how we as a nation are divided right now. It's, it's a lot to take in, and there are so many things to bring up about the uh, September 11th, 2001, but I wanted to just take a few minutes to talk about it because there's really no way to do this show on September 11th without talking about that day. And obviously, a lot of people are tuned into their TVs right now uh, as I'm recording this show. I'm not because I have to host this show. It's my obligation. But I I don't think there is a single person in this entire country, including those who are too young to remember 9-11, who aren't thinking about 9-11 right now, and all the power to them for keeping this date in mind. A lot of times, especially over the last couple of months, there have been a lot of tragic things that have happened. There's been Hurricane Ida. There's been the U.S.'s messy withdrawal from Afghanistan, hereby ending the 20-year Afghanistan war. And you hear a lot of other talk show hosts talking about how their thoughts and prayers are with the victims and I'm all for that, but I do think that there's so much, me- there's so many messed up things going on in the world right now that 
the the term our thoughts and prayers are with you or that saying seems redundant and rhetorical and for that reason i usually don't bring about all the tragic things that happen in a given week because there are so many and i don't want to sound rhetorical when i say my thoughts and prayers are with the victims even though there they are but i i couldn't let go the idea of of talking about September 11th and how it maybe it being a film show I could talk about how it ties into movies and I can't exactly do that but one thing I can do is I can tell you some of the movies that have taken place in part or entirely during 9-11 that I recommend and One of the things that I was going to do for this week's show, but I decided to do it for last week's show, was review the film Worth, the latest film starring Michael Keaton and Stanley Tucci, which I think is actually, amongst the feature films, the best 9-11 film. Not not because it shows you what happened on 9-11, which it most certainly does, but very implicitly. But it also shows you the real aftermath of what happened, how there were many hurt. I I don't want to say hurt feelings that that seems um, to minimize the, the situation, but how we had open wounds in this country, especially amongst the families of the people who died tragically in nine 11, especially when it came to, how they were going to be compensated and who would get compensated for what, uh, depending on what the victims were doing during 9-11. It it touches on some very touchy subjects about 9-11, but it is one of those things where it's, I'm I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying, I have some technical difficulties here. But it's, it's one of the things that a lot of people dealt with on that day. And an, another film that I recommend is actually a short film. And I am looking it up right now. I actually saw this in 2003 um, when I, I was at a film festival. I was at the Maine International Film Festival. There was a series of nine, uh, 11 films that came out in 2002 All these 11 films combined came from different parts of the world and it's, and the, all the, all the movies took place either on nine 11 or around, uh, nine 11. And there was one particular film that cut particularly close to me. And that one was actually directed by Sean Penn and stars only one actor, and that actor is Ernest Borgnine. And if it hadn't been for this short film being included in this this package of films that was called literally 9-11-01, I probably wouldn't have known by the end that it had to do with 9-11. But it's one of Ernest Borgnine's last performances, and it also may be one of his best. I don't want to give it entirely away, but that short film directed by Sean Penn and starring Ernest Borgnine um, actually 
felt to me more affecting than even the movie World Trade Center directed by Oliver Stone and starring Nicolas Cage and Michael Pena or United 93. And admittedly, I haven't seen all of those films, but it really says something how those films came out and I've only seen parts of them, but they're, they're not particularly memorable to movie-going audiences. So that's my tying films um, about 9-11 into this conversation. There are two films that I think are worth seeing that stand out above the rest. The first one is Worth, which you can find on Netflix right now. The other one, which is a series of 11 um, short films, is called either uh, 9-11-01 or September 11th. That one had been released in the United States in 2003. IMDb says it's it was released in 2002, but that's that's not when it was given a wide release. But I highly recommend that you see that one. Not only was Sean Penn's film starring Ernest Borgnine of all people one of the better, one of the best um, short films of that compilation, but there are also some other thought-provoking 9/11 shorts that I saw 18 years ago, and they're still affecting me to this day. Similar to how. 9-11 had affected all of us. I also remember that one of the very, actually the very first film that I saw in theaters after 9-11 was Zoolander. It was a little hard to watch that film because it took place in New York City and director Ben Stiller actually had to take footage out that happened to have the Twin Towers in it. Either he removed the scene altogether or he digitally removed the Twin Towers from the skyline, for example. And he wasn't the only filmmaker to do this over the, la- over the next uh, two to three years. But the reason that I, I always think of Zoolander fondly is not only because it's a very funny movie, but also because in the preceding months of 9-11, we as a country not only needed to unite, and we still need to unite for so many different reasons, but there are also so many different other reasons that we should unite now. But the point I'm getting at with Zoolander is Zoolander came out at a time where we as a country also needed to laugh. We needed some levity from the horrors that were going on outside our windows. And that's why I will always remember Zoolander very fondly. So for those of you out there who are listening to this show, I don't think I need to remind you about the significance of 9-11, so I'm not going to. But never forget. That's really all I have to say about it.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. I told you I would be reviewing movies for you for this show, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Malignant. Malignant is out in theaters right now, and you can also watch it on HBO Max. It is directed by James Wan, who also wrote the story, and James Wan is a Malaysian director who, among his other directorial efforts, have included actually an upcoming film called Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which I'm interested in seeing. He directed the first Aquaman movie back in... 2018. He also directed the original Conjuring, as well as the sequel to Insidious and the second Conjuring movie. So I've seen some of his movies and uh, passed over some others. I also should note that he directed the very first Saw movie, but that's the only Saw movie he directed. So James Wan is a guy who knows his horror films. But you wouldn't exactly know it from watching this one. This one is not only malignant, is not only not scary, it's also, as far as horror films go, very redundant. It's about a woman by the name of Madison, who's played by uh, a British actress named Annabelle Wallace, who is American in this film. And she's paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she, worsens, excuse me, as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. Where exactly can I start with this movie? It is, as I said, it's not the first movie that deals with an unsuspecting person who is having hallucinations that might be reality, and it and it's also not. The, the first movie involving somebody who is possessed. And unfortunately, this movie doesn't do very much with that particular premise. You know that there's this pregnant woman, as I said, um, Annabelle Wallace's character, Madison, who's living in Seattle. She's pregnant after enduring two years of miscarriages. And she has a husband um, who is not a particularly nice guy. And... He also not only is not a very nice guy, he also is played by an actor who is lacking some serious acting skills. Um, the actor in this movie who plays her husband is Jake Abel, or maybe Abel, Jake Abel, I'll say. It, it could be pronounced Abel, but I'm not entirely sure. But he plays a paint-by-numbers abusive husband, and as these horror movies go, one of the things that one of the mistakes that horror movies make is that they portray somebody who's not particularly likable right before introducing the supernatural elements. So you know the unlikable person is going to go almost instantly. And eventually you learn about Madison's uh, sister Sydney, who's played by Maddie Hassan. And as the number of murders, the mysterious murders, pile up, Madison has to clear her name with some assistance from these two detectives. One is named Kikoa Shaw, and he's played by George Young, and the other one is Regina Moss, who's played by Michelle Brianna White. And there are there's a lot wrong with this film. I guess the, the story is competent. But it's not particularly interesting or particularly surprising. And the supernatural creature that haunts 
Madison Mitchell is also not particularly scary. And one sign of a great scary movie is when I can put my hands up to my face and try to watch the film through my fingers. But when my hands are at my side, it's not a very good sign for such a film. I have forgotten a lot of this film already. I do remember some of the plot, but I also thought that the acting in this movie wasn't particularly strong. I've seen Annabelle Wallace act in better films before in supporting performances. I believe this is her first uh, main role in a feature film, but I hope it's not her last, but at the same time, I didn't really get behind her character. I didn't think her acting was strong enough to convince me whether or not she was scared or in pain or in grieving. And it seemed that once the aftermath of her pregnancy happened, I didn't get behind her at all in terms of her acting capabilities. I did think Maddie Hassan had a good role as her sister, Sydney. I thought she was probably the best performer in this film. And Michelle Brianna White also had a good supporting performance as well. But overall, just this movie is largely forgettable, which is why Malignant gets my rating of a flunk out. It is, as I said, a paint-by-numbers horror film. For a guy who directed such original and, and pro- profitable horror films such as Saw and The Conjuring, I would have expected much better from James Wan, but even the the title of the film, Malignant, isn't all that original, and unfortunately, this movie is not particularly scary and not particularly good, especially compared to recent horror films that have come out, such as Candyman, for example. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Kate. This is an action thriller film with a name that's not particularly original, but it makes up for it with some great action sequences. Kate represents the feature um, lead debut of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is a relatively well-known actress, uh, known more for her supporting roles in such movies as Sky High and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, where she has mainly played the love interest of the main character. But in this film, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is front and center as the titular Kate, who is an American assassin who is living and working in Tokyo. After learning that she has only 24 hours to live, literally after being poisoned, she goes on a manhunt through the streets of Tokyo and befriends the young daughter of a past target. Now, I do have to say one thing. First of all, Mary Elizabeth Winstead kicks ass in this film. She really does. She is very reminiscent of Sigourney Weaver in the first two Alien movies. Um, She not only makes a killer assassin, but she also has some really good... 
uh, karate um, scenes in this film, as you might expect from a movie that takes place in Japan. And what are Kate and her boss and mentor, Varric, the latter of whom is played by Woody Harrelson, doing in Tokyo? Well, more or less their job. And Kate is trying to find the crime boss who poisoned her, and he she gets to him with the help of his, his young niece, who's, whose name is Ani, who's played by... Uh, an actress who's making her debut in this movie. Her name is Miku Patricia Martineau, which does not sound like a Japanese name, but that's largely because um, this actress is biracial, part American and part Japanese, as she actually plays in this film as well. And this actress, Ms. Um, Martineau, I'm going to say her full name, Miku Patricia Martineau, is making her feature film debut in this movie, as I said. And she's given a, a few other credits on IMDb, a regular on a show called Finny the Shark, which sounds like a cartoon. I'm not familiar with it at all. And she was also on a TV series, or she made an appearance on a TV series recently called Carl's Car Wash. But she is second in line along with Mary Elizabeth Winstead as they journey through Tokyo to avenge Kate's soon-to-be death. Or is it going to be a placebo? Or is it she not really poisoned? I'm not saying what the twist at the end of this movie is going to be. I'm saying that as this movie was going on, it started out kind of slow, but eventually I was along for the ride, especially as Mary Elizabeth Winstead earned her place in this action film as a no-holds-barred heroine. And part of it actually involves a very clever scene where her hair gets cut. I'm not saying she goes to a barber shop and gets her hair cut. You're going to have to see it for yourself. But I think she actually acted very well alongside Miku Patricia Martineau, who, as I said, is raised in Japan, is a little entitled, a little spoiled, but she definitely has some sass to her that is welcome in this film. And I think once she actually enters the picture, the literal motion picture, the the movie goes from being another John Wick knockoff to actually being very clever. And not just the scenes where Mika Patricia Martineau is in the film alongside Mary Elizabeth Winstead. There are actually some very clever and surprisingly funny action sequences. So Kate is a movie that took a little while to get going, but once it did get going, I didn't want it to stop. And that is really a testament to how good an action film this is. It's directed by Cedric Nicolas Troyan, and amongst his previous repertoire includes... Uh, One movie that was called The Huntsman Winter's War, which came out in 2016. And this was actually a big film for a guy who made his feature film directorial debut. It starred Charlize Theron, Emily Blunt, uh, Jessica Chastain, and Chris Hemsworth. And was the sequel to the movie Snow White and the Huntsman, which came out a few years earlier and starred Kristen Stewart as the titular character. So 
I do think that while uh, the Huntsman Winter's War was probably not as good as the original uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, I still thought for a a first-time director um, who has actually been nominated for an Oscar for Best Achievement in Visual Effects for Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, Cedric Nicholas Troyan did a pretty good job directing that film, but he really makes a name for himself directing Kate. And Kate gets my rating of a knockout. I think it is a turning point performance for Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who previously, as I said, had played love interest. And she wasn't a bland love interest by any stretch of the imagination, but this is really her first role where she shows she is literally more than just a pretty face. I did not expect to enjoy Kate given the mundane um, (laughs) title of this film, but I did enjoy it immensely. I thought the shots of Tokyo were great, and it is a very impressive debut performance for Miku Patricia Martineau, an actress we are probably going to be seeing several times after this film. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a documentary that is only out in theaters, and the movie is called The Alpinist. It is a documentary, and I am going to tell you a little bit more about that documentary. Let's see. (laughs) Yeah, right now... I am not finding any information about it, but just give me some time. So The Alpinist is a a, a documentary that details, of course, the true story of a little-known alpinist or free solo climber whose name is Marc-Andre Leclerc. His last name is spelled L-E-C-R, excuse me, L-E-C-L-E-R-C, And last week when I was doing my What's Coming Up Next, the spoken word preview of movies that are subject to be coming out in theaters, I pronounced his name Leclerc. But Marc-Andre Leclerc is a native of British Columbia, obviously of French descent, and his last name is actually pronounced Leclerc. I did know some Leclercs growing up in Maine, but their last name was spelled phonetically, L-E-C-L-A-I-R. But yeah, I, I guess that... Goes to show you, French names are complicated. But Marc-Andre Leclerc climbs for the love of it, according to this documentary, Far From the Limelight. The free-spirited 23-year-old makes some of the boldest solo ascents in history. With no cameras and no margin for error, Leclerc's approach is the essence of solo adventure. That is according to the... Uh, tagline or the brief plot description of this film. It's directed by Peter Mortimer, Mortimer and Nick Rosen, who are unfortunately 
coming out of, or rather they're debuting this film after the Academy Award winning National Geographic film Free Solo. And Free Solo is about the Free Solo climber Alex Honnold, who, similar to Marc Andre Leclerc, has is known for scaling the tallest peaks with nothing except <laughs> some chalk for the hands and some free will. <laughs> there, yeah, he's he's not having any assistance from any other climbers, and he's not doing this with a harness. And what exactly is an alpinist, which is the title of this film? Simply put, an alpinist is a climber of high mountains, especially in the Alps. And the movie focuses primarily on one of Marc-Andre Leclerc's biggest challenges, which is scaling the mountains in Argentina, uh, specifically the Patagonian mountains, where the cliffs are very high And there isn't exactly a walking trail. And what the advantage that the filmmakers of Free Solo had was that the climber, Alex Honnold, basically allowed these National Geographic cameramen to film him as he was climbing, and the angles they got were incredible. There are a couple of impressive angles that directors Pete Mortimer and Nick Rosen get in this film, but there aren't actually many of them. But there are still enough to make my palms sweat, which is exactly what they did as I was watching Marc-Andre Leclerc scale these snowy mountains. Now, he actually did have a few tools, but he did not have a harness. He had more like ice picks that helped him climb some of these ice, um, helped him climb the ice. Let let me just uh, put it to you this way. I was trying to find uh, some way to put that. And my palms were sweating as I was watching him because at any point, some of these pieces of ice could potentially break off. And it's also kind of amazing that one time he tried to scale the mountain, he found a place to rest and a snowstorm hit a blizzard snowstorm. And all he had for protection was a tent. So it goes to show you that in order to do this, to be an alpinist or a free solo climber, you really, really, really have to love it. I couldn't do it. In fact, I felt so lazy just sitting in the theater in my reclining movie theater chair watching this guy do it. But rest assured, I wouldn't attempt this. Now, I've done some uh, mountain climbing before, sometimes with harnesses. Other times I've gone on trails of mountains, and it is a lot of fun. I would never, ever, 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 ever do this by myself. And if I had the audacity to do it by myself, I would at least bring a parachute because one wrong slip and you could literally fall to your death. So these kinds of free solo climbers like Mark Andre Leclerc and Alex Honnold, who actually makes an appearance as himself, 
I should say as himself, he makes an appearance in this film as an interview subject, and he talks about his his admiration for Marc-Andre Leclerc, even though Alex Honnold is much more well-known, and for that matter, he's an Academy Award winner, than Marc-Andre Leclerc was. But I did like how the directors, uh, Peter Mortimer and Nick Rosen, actually talked about how you had this young ambitious 23-year-old who only had a couple of followers on his YouTube page, but the followers he had were definitely dedicated. And I do think that Marc-Andre Leclerc gets the attention in this movie that he deserves. And there are also some points in this movie where the directors did not have the benefit of having cameras near him as he was making a certain descent and his fate remains questionable. I'm not going to tell you exactly in the end what happens, but there are some moments of some serious drama, even though this guy, Mark Andre Leclerc is a really fun guy. Not only is there great footage of him scaling these tall, steep mountains, but there are also some other, um, pieces of footage of him just having fun, either hopping around on a trampoline or doing some very impressive hula hooping. It, it's really good. The Alpinist is a better documentary than I expected, especially after coming after Free Solo. I don't know if it's going to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary. It's really hard to tell, especially months before Oscar season, but it does have a fighting and shall I say climbing chance, but I really enjoyed it. I was very impressed and have an ultimate amount of respect for Marc-Andre Leclerc and the Alpinist gets my rating of a knockout. It is a film that like free solo makes you really appreciate some of the thrill seekers who do this because the pain is worth it to them. Would you do it yourself? Well, I know I certainly wouldn't, but I do have an appreciation for people who do partake in these kinds of dangerous thrills. I just don't want to join them when they actually do it. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. This is usually the part of the show now that I have um, reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you, where I give you my segment, What's Coming Up Next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are slated to be or subject to be released either in theaters or on uh, such popular podcasts or such popular streaming platforms as Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon Prime, 
Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, and the like. But the internet has just started giving me a really hard time. And this is the point of the show where I tell you how much I hate seeing that dinosaur. And I really, really hate seeing the words beneath that dinosaur that say no internet. And the internet was working just fine until a couple of minutes ago. Uh, okay. Actually scratch that. I have, I am getting some semblance of internet activity, but thank you for staying with me as I am navigating these, uh, these problematic technical difficulties. I guess it's just kind of one of those things where sometimes a website is available. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes this, sometimes this internet, um, Sometimes this Wi-Fi works for me perfectly. Sometimes it doesn't. But as the great Dr. Martin Luther King says, the true measure of a man is not in times of comfort and convenience, but in times of challenge and controversy. And this is one of those moments where the challenge and controversy is readily apparent. But some signs of life are actually happening right now as we speak. It's kind of like I'm getting one... Uh, part of a web page, but the rest of the web page, the content I need is not there. But <laughs> another philosophical thought: I once what I once complained about having no shoes until I met a man with no feet. I've never met a man with no feet, not exactly, but I get the saying, I, I get the meaning behind that proverb. So even though my computer is telling me that. I am getting the Wi-Fi. This computer is not giving me Wi-Fi, and that is incredibly frustrating. But I'm going to take a deep breath and just continue on. Actually, <laughs> I got news for you. I now have internet access. So it actually looks like I missed a couple of Netflix original films that premiered on Friday, September 10th. Let me tell you a little bit about those. I told you about the movie Kate, and I told you about how Kate got my rating of a knockout. It's definitely a turning point for Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And while it is a Netflix original and I can appreciate that I can sit down on my couch and watch it, I actually would have preferred to see Kate on the big screen, probably more than I preferred to see the other film, the, the other horror film that I reviewed for this show which was malignant. And I, I really, I don't have the benefit of very fast internet right now. So I have to dig back into my short term memory and tell you what these, um, <laughs> what these films that I saw were, but anyway, so I am having difficulty with one particular website, but I'm getting internet on another one. So maybe it's a, an issue with the website as opposed to my internet connection. But let me just tell you some of the Netflix originals that are going to be released on the platform for the week of September 13th through September 17th, 2021. So on Tuesday, September 14th, there are a couple of uh, specials one that's called A Storybot Space Adventure. The other one that's called You Versus Wild, Out Cold. This is not only a special, this is an interactive special. 
So it might be one of those deals where you have to choose your own adventure using your remote. But I can't tell you what the description of it is because IMDb is really acting up on me. So I'll just tell you that on Tuesday, September 14th, a Storybot Space Adventure and You vs. Wild Out Cold will be premiering on Netflix. They're specials, not movies, so I won't be reviewing them. But if you want to check them out for yourself, you're welcome. There is a documentary that's going to be um, debuting on Netflix on Wednesday, September 15th, and it is called Schumacher. And it is a documentary presumably about the late director, Joel Schumacher, whose filmography was hit or miss. Uh, the very first film that he directed or the, his breakthrough as a director was St. Almost Fire, which is one of those movies that's considered one of the Brat Pack movies. And that came out in 1985 and it starred several actors who were also in the breakfast club, specifically, uh, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, and Ali Sheedy. And what's funny is that in the breakfast club, those three actors, as well as Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Shannon, played high schoolers. And in St. Almost Fire, that came out the same year, they played students who had just graduated from college. So in St. Almost Fire, they're literally playing kids their, their own age. And looking back at St. Almost Fire, it's a film I kind of have a love-hate relationship with because Rob Lowe in that movie plays a jerk. And he's not a particularly repentant jerk. He's not a guy you get behind. He's just a flat-out jerk. And there are other characters to whom I related, like, for instance, the one played by Andrew McCarthy and a little bit the one played by Emilio Estevez, even though he has a an infatuation with a character played by Andy McDowell, which is a, a little creepy, his infatuation. But I get that feeling. I just wouldn't act upon some of the things he does in that movie, but that's his character. And I, I could go on about Schumacher or Joel Schumacher's filmography, but I'm very interested to see this documentary because even though there are movies I like that were directed by Joel Schumacher, for example, eight millimeter starring Nicholas cage was an excellent action film, Batman and Robin. Eh, no, but Joel Schumacher is still a fascinating director in and of himself, even though his filmography is not exactly Kubrick. Anyway, moving on, Schumacher is debuting on Netflix on Wednesday, September 15th. That is a documentary that I will try to see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. A film that's going to be premiering on Wednesday, September 15th on Netflix is one called Nightbooks. But I can't tell you what, what it's about or who's in it because of tech of connection issues that are currently giving me, uh, just basically not making me a happy camper. And man, this internet crapped out on me today. What can I tell you? Uh, so moving on, uh, at least I have something to talk about considering that one of the web pages loaded on me before the Wi-Fi just completely well, I'm not going to use explicit terms, even though I really, really want to. But anyway, moving on. On Thursday, September 16th, the Netflix original film that's going to be premiering is a documentary that's called My Heroes Were Cowboys. Is this a movie about a film lover's admiration for John Wayne and other 
uh, cowboy actors, or is it about somebody who grew up on a ranch? Could be either, but I don't know because the internet is dead. At least it is on my computer. Uh, oh, technology. Oh, 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 technology. Okay, on Friday, September 17th, there are actually a few films that are premiering on Netflix as Netflix originals. One is called Ankahi Kahaniya, which sounds Japanese or Hawaiian, probably Japanese. It's probably a foreign film, but I can't tell you because guess what? The internet is dead. Another film that's going to be premiering on Netflix is one that's called The Stronghold. One of these films I will probably see and review for you on next week's show. And the last film that is subject to be premiering on Netflix is going to be called The Father Who Moves Mountains. That could be literally about a father who moves mountains, or it could be about a guy who figuratively moves mountains. I don't know because the internet is dead. Oh boy. Maybe it's something with my computer. I, I don't exactly know. Maybe it's time for me to just get a new computer, but I don't entirely know for sure. But thank you for tuning in to, yeah, I, I should rename this show Words on Film and Technical Mishaps. That would bring in a lot of, um, that would bring in a lot more listeners. Either way, you could join me. I'm glad you could join me to discuss my favorite topic, which is movies and technical mishaps. But then again, somebody could call my show and think that I'm one of those people who tells you, I'm sorry, you're experiencing technical difficulties. That's not who, uh, what this show is. And I wouldn't help be able to help you with technical difficulties. So let me move on to Amazon prime. There are actually a few original Amazon movies that will be premiering on the platform on Friday, September 17th. So even though I don't have the information for you for movies that will be premiering in theaters, I do have a lot that are streaming and so many movies to watch and literally so little time. There's one film that's called Everybody's Talking About Jamie. I actually think that without the internet, I can speculate about what these films are about. And that kind of makes an entertaining and interesting section. At least I hope that you are at least entertained if not informed. The The purpose of this show is to inform you, not particularly entertain you. But I'm just doing my best with what I have, people. So everybody talking about Jamie, it will be premiering on Amazon Prime or Amazon Plus on Friday, September 17th. And there's another film that's going to be premiering that's called The Mad Woman's Ball or The Mad Women's Ball, I should say. Uh, is it about an actual ball that mad women attend? Could be. It also could be about... I, I could get into some pretty sick and twisted topics about what the mad woman's ball could be about. Maybe a mad woman who carries around an eight ball. That's the G rated uh, thought I was thinking. But anyway, Friday, September 17th, everybody's talking about Jamie and the mad women's ball will be premiering on Amazon original or rather Amazon prime. And there's one other film that sounds like a documentary, and it's called American Trader, The Trial of Axis Sally. And I think actually, no, this is not a documentary. I remember this because one of the co-stars of this film is Al Pacino. This is not an Amazon Prime original, but it was briefly released, uh, briefly released in theaters. 
And I would be actually very interested to see this. And I think this does qualify as a movie that I would review on this show. The only thing is, I can't tell you exactly what it's about. I do know that Access Sally in the movie, I don't know if this is based on a true story, but it might be. Access Sally is an American woman who was a Nazi sympathizer. So very hot topic there, especially in this day and age or pretty much in any day and age. But I'm very interested to see that. I will make my best effort to see that, but I'm not guaranteeing that I will. But I can tell you that it does co-star Al Pacino. So I'm interested in seeing that. On Disney Plus, what do we have? We have one Disney Plus original. It is a short film, and it's called Nona. I don't know what it's about, but I'm assuming it might be about an Italian woman or it could be about a talking starfish. I don't know. Uh, My guess is, given the short title and given how a lot of Disney Pixar films have short titles, that this short film is not only a Disney Plus original, it's also a Disney Pixar film, but I don't entirely know for sure. But that is the only Disney Plus original that will be premiering on Friday, 17, uh, September 17th on Disney+. Plus. There is a documentary that's going to be premiering on Disney+, Plus on Friday, September 24th, but I may tell you about that on the next show. Excuse me. On the next show, as I try to <laughs> prevent a burp from coming up. Yeah, you don't want me to burp into the microphone. <laughs> or maybe you do, but I won't do it. So anyway, on Friday, September 17th on HBO Max, there are no original movies or at least no uh, Max uh, HBO original films, but there is one film that is going to be premiering both on HBO Max and in theaters, and the movie is called Cry Macho. I could make several guesses as to what this movie's about, but I honestly don't know. All I know is that it will be on HBO Max and in theaters. So either way you want to watch it, you can um, you can stream it. But anyway, uh, was there any films that... Oh yeah, there was Malignant that came out uh, on Friday, September 10th. So moving on. Let me see what's on Hulu. Any originals there? Because Hulu has a lot of good stuff. Almost too much good stuff. Because it's really hard to tell sometimes what's new and what's not unless you go on the web and look for it. So on Friday, September 17th, there is nothing that is going to be premiering as a Hulu original, but there are going to be some movies that will be appearing on Hulu uh, for streaming, but they're not originals. There is one film from the year 2000. I think this was a... DreamWorks animated film. It was called Joseph King of Dreams. That was 2D animation, very similar to the uh, Prince of Egypt. But unlike the Prince of Egypt, Joseph King of Dreams was a commercial failure, I believe. I, I don't think it did nearly as well as the Prince of Egypt did. But I might check that out, but I won't be reviewing it for you. There's also a romantic comedy that takes place in high school, and it's called Love, Simon, and it's about a kid by the name of Simon who is struggling with his sexual identity, 
In other words, he's gay and he hasn't come out of the closet yet, but that, that was a very interesting film, and I got behind that too. There's another film that's going to be appearing on Hulu on Wednesday, September 15th, and it's called Maze Runner, The Death Cure. I didn't see this film when it came out in 2018, but I do remember that it was actually considered by many critics to be one of the worst films of 2018. That is not a joke. So I probably won't be seeing that. On Thursday, September uh, 16th, there's uh, a series premiere that's called The Premise, which is actually a it is an FX on Hulu original. And interestingly enough, there are a number of Hulu originals that are appearing on, or rather, there are a lot of FX on Hulu originals that are appearing on Hulu. But unfortunately, one of them is a show that's on FX or a, a limited series that's on FX that is not on Hulu or Netflix or any other streaming platform that I know of yet. It is actually called... American Crime Story Impeachment. And American Crime Story is really, really good. The first limited series they had was The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which had a tremendous cast. It had Cuba Gooding Jr. as O.J. Simpson, John Travolta as Robert Shapiro, Courtney B. Vance as Johnny Cochran, Sterling K. Brown as Christopher Darden, Sarah Paulson as Marsha Clark, All of them were great. And then they had a follow-up to that the next season that was called uh, American Crime Story, The Assassination of Johnny Versace, which detailed primarily Andrew Cunanan, both him growing up and also becoming unhealthily obsessed with Johnny Versace, later eventually assassinating him. So, yeah, there, there were two great episodes. This one... American Crime Story Impeachment is about not Donald Trump, although that may be a later episode, but it is about the impeachment of President Bill Clinton. And and he was the first president to be impeached in over 140 years. And yeah, that would, it's not exactly a crime why he got impeached, but it is probably a high crime and a misdemeanor, or rather... High crimes and misdemeanors are actually opposites. It it was a high crime, him lying under oath. But yeah, the 90s, the the simpler times when if a president lied once, he actually got punished for lying. Those were the days. (laughs) Oh, man. But anyway, unfortunately, it's not on uh, Hulu yet. If you have cable, unlike me, you could see it every Tuesday on FX. But that is all I could tell you about what's going to be premiering on Hulu. So the last thing is Paramount Plus. And there's a series that's going to be premiering on Paramount Plus. It's a Paramount Plus original, and it's called The Harper House. I don't know what the show's about, and I can tell you wholeheartedly I will not be reviewing it. But I will eventually... Review. Oh, there's actually one Paramount Plus original film that I didn't review for you for this show, and I wish I did. The movie is called Kate Musgraves Starcrossed, the film. My guess is, since Casey Musgraves is a country artist and is a very big deal down here in Nashville, it's probably a concert film. And I do remember that Casey Musgraves appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert this past week 
Other than that, I can't tell you what the movie is because internet troubles. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.